and I saw the logo that the uh, abolitionists uh, had on like a coin. And it had a picture of an African-American man in chains and he was like pleading. And it's around the coin, it said, uh, am I not a friend and a brother? And I thought to myself, like these people, abolitionists like stood up, they believed in something bigger than themselves and they went down in history fighting for what's right. And I saw what was happening to kids and then I saw kids show up in my life and I saw how innocent and malleable and just beautiful that they are. And I made a decision. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm making a stand on this. Like people are going to know me for a couple things. They're going to know me for having curly hair, for <laughs> being a crypto guy and for this gender stuff. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. And before we jump into the episode, I'm going to kindly remind you to hit that like and subscribe wherever you are listening or watching. It helps the podcast grow with visibility, feeds the algorithm. It is a giant machine and we are just trying to grow and I cannot do it without you. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. If you want to support the podcast, you can check out the links below. We have affiliates, sponsors, and you can also buy me a nice warm cup of coffee. It's a beautiful fall day. I know it's not fall yet, but it certainly feels like it. All of the resources go right back into the podcasting, into editing, getting in-person guests, all of that. So I couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much in advance. This week, we have Nick DeMondi joining the podcast. Nick is head of content at Hit Network. He's also a screenwriter. We met on Around the Blockchain, which is one of their channels over at the Hit Network. And this conversation is amazing. It, we get into so many topics. We start out off with Bitcoin, blockchain, what is that? So you do not need to be an expert to appreciate this conversation. And the bigger reason why it's important to maybe start learning about these alternative forms of currency we get into politics, we get into Russell Brand, and we even get into some gender ideology, and it's all kind of looped together, and it might seem like a very messy puzzle, but I promise it all connects at the end. So without further ado, please help me welcome Nick DeMondi. Nick, welcome to the podcast. It's very nice to have you. It is so good to be here, Candice. Good to see you. <laughs> I, was, um, I was checking Twitter, and I'm trying to keep up with like all of the Russell Brand stuff, I think, right now, like everyone oh else gosh. is. And it seems maybe a little bit unrelated to some of the listeners, but I promise you it's all going to tie in beautifully together. Um, and I was like, wow, the timing of this, I think, is really paramount, especially after the British Parliament letter got released that mm -hmm. they were sending around to different social platforms. So um, I kind of want to start with the topic about Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, because... Mm -hmm. Even though it's been around for a while now, I think it still makes people dizzy when they it try does. to think about it. So yep. as simply as you can, can we kind of get into what is the foundation of blockchain technology? So it's funny how there's like the intellectual dark web and Russell Brand is part of that. They've mm -hmm. all gravitated to Bitcoin because of its uh, ability to not be censored. So essentially, the backbone of Bitcoin is blockchain. And you could just think of blockchain like a gigantic CVS receipt has all the different transactions that has ever happened at that CVS, but it cannot be changed and it cannot be reversed. Uh, and anyone who's spending money at that CVS can't spend the same Bitcoin money twice. How that comes together is basically through physics. 
Um, there's a, just a bunch of math equations that are done on a uh, bunch of computer problems that verify this gigantic CVS receipt that all of these different people, all these different computers have, and they all have to check it every 10 minutes and say, hey, is your receipt the same as my receipt? And if the majority says yes, then we say, okay, so that's now a block that's on the chain. Let's make a new block. Let's gather in all these transactions and put on this giant CVS receipt. I'll check it. Are we all good? Are we all good? Yep. Okay, cool. Next block. That's It's, it's just one giant spreadsheet. Uh, but the beauty of it is it's not centralized. Everyone, there's like literally tens of thousands of computers that we call miners that are doing the math to make sure that this one gigantic spreadsheet or CVS receipt is the same at all times. The reason that it can't be overturned has to do with the amount of people that are on the network all saying yes, uh, improves the, what they call the hash rate or the difficulty. Uh, and that makes it to where trying to overturn a transaction, you would have to overpower all the tens of thousands of people on the network just to change one little piece of it. So it's just incredibly, incredibly what we call hard money, like gold you can't mess around with because you either have the gold or you don't. And the Bitcoin you can't mess around with because you either have the Bitcoin or you don't and you can't fake it. It's not like some guy at Bank of America or like some guy named Sam Bankman-Fried at FTX who has access to, you know, it's centralized money. And so really the only money exists on paper, right? Mm -hmm. And so if the money only exists on paper in the spreadsheet that they have control to and they are not checking it with anyone else, they can just go change some numbers and then everyone's money's gone. That literally is not physically possible. I'm not saying digitally possible. It's not physically possible on Bitcoin to do that. So that is basically what Bitcoin is and what blockchain is in, I don't know, two minutes. Yeah. And I guess that the difference between that too is there's a finite amount of it where with a lot of these altcoins, you can kind of continue to increase the supply similar to how we print you know, our currency, like the USD or whatever currency you're using around the globe. So with Bitcoin, it's fixed. Everything else can kind of be adjusted and then that can skew the value of it as well. Sure. I mean, so there's, uh, you, you just went another level up on like the characteristics of blockchain. One of the things that makes Bitcoin special in addition to how it's uh, what they call consensus, basically everyone agreeing mm -hmm. that the receipt is right. It's consensus makes it special and it's capped supply makes it special. So there's 21 million Bitcoin that will only ever be minted, but one Bitcoin can be subdivided into a hundred million, what's called Satoshis. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, wow, Bitcoin's $26,000. I can't afford that. Well, wrong. You can mm -hmm. buy $50 worth of Bitcoin, which is, I don't know, 50,000 Satoshis or something like that. So, but yeah, it's great because it's hard money. It can't be inflated away. So just like there are, uh, you know, commodity items like tissues, tissues don't have a lot of value because there's a gazillion of them and they just con are continuously being made. Just like the dollar in 1971, when it came off the gold standard has lost 96% of its purchasing power. And that's mm -hmm. only going to continue. It can drop another 96%. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> there is you know, no zero. In, you know, it's interesting you say that. And I was watching a Michael Saylor video earlier today, and he was explaining how so we have this idea. I think a lot of people that haven't made the jump into investing into any kind of cryptocurrency or mm. um, they haven't done a lot of their own research. They really just see these really big market swings with the with Bitcoin specifically and maybe mm. Ethereum, like the more popular ones. And they're like, well, that looks way too risky for me. I would rather have my money in my bank account where I see the same 
dollar amount, right? Like you don't see the swing, but he was talking about um, the depreciation of the dollar and he was actually comparing it to the peso. So he was saying where a peso will lose um, over 90% of its value in about 20 years, Mm -hmm. that the US dollar will lose over 90% of its value in 90 years. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a long time, right? Like that's more than the average life span. But if you're trying to work your life to create um, legacy for your children, provide to your community, whatever it is that you're building, it's not going to live much longer than you do, if at all. So he used his Miami house as an example. And he said in the 19... I want to say 1930s, he said it was, you know, worth maybe a hundred thousand dollars or something mm-hmm. like that, very reasonable. And then now it's worth forty-two million dollars. So he's mm-hmm. like, you do the math, yeah. and it's projected to go to a hundred million. So it just, we have um, a very disillusioned idea that the dollar really holds on to its value, and we think that Bitcoin doesn't because of the swings. It's just you're not seeing no. your dollar tank. It shows up in ways like inflation, cost of goods sold, all of that. Um, so it's a little bit trickier and for much more intelligent people than myself to break down um, to a granular level, but it's like no- nothing is without risk. And in my opinion, it's a lot better to invest your money than to keep it into a bank account. Yeah, it's uh, inflation is stealth taxation. The other thing I would add to Sailor's great breakdown of that is not only is it going to take 90 years for the dollar to lose 90% of its purchasing power, but you are losing out on the cost of goods. You're also losing out on lost wages. So it's not like your wages mm-hmm. are going in the opposite direction and going up. Uh, news flash, they're flat and they have been flat for 30 years. They are not keeping pace with inflation. So inflation's going up, but your wages are not also going up. They're like this. So you're mm-hmm. losing out on both ends of the stick at that point. I kind of got like black pilled on money in 2020 as along with a lot of other people while taking the orange pill at the same time. Um, but I heard someone on Clubhouse. Do you remember Clubhouse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back before Clubhouse was like an absolute insane asylum. Uh, it was actually great in 2020, but someone on Clubhouse said, dollars are only for spending. And I was like, holy crap, wait. Yeah, because rich people don't, they don't just hold dollars. If they're actually going to like put dollars into an account, it's to spend them. Other than that, it is in some type of, it's either a mutual fund or a piece of property, getting some type of return because they understand the situation that they're in, mm-hmm. which is, this is not just losing 7% a year. Other things are going up by 12%. Like, I don't know if you've seen like the inflation numbers out, but they're saying, oh man, inflation's under control. This is the best. Inflation's slowing down. Well, newsflash, it's actually going down because of the price of gas is fluctuating so much. If you take out gas from the equation and you look at shelter and food, it's been double digit basically for the past two years. It's not slowing down. So not only is your food more expensive, but 80% of all the dollars that are in circulation have been printed in the last three years. So you're getting, Mm. (laughs) yeah, you're getting, you're you're getting it from all sides and it's not consensual. So (laughs) you didn't vote for it. No, it's certainly not. You didn't vote for it. It seems like one of the only areas that consent is not even a topic. (laughs) (laughs) Taxes, inflation. For me, I, I'm very fortunate that I live in a place where I don't know the price of a lot of things. Like it's not something that I, I really look at, Mm -hmm. but I will say I've been noticing food a lot Mm -hmm. and I go to the grocery store or we go out to like even breakfast and breakfast the other day cost us $72 for um, three people. And one of them was a child. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, 
I'm noticing this. This is crazy. This is for a plate of eggs and a couple coffees. This is nuts. So yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the average person is doing right now, but it's it's really painful out there. So you, it's like, how do you hedge that bet? I want to go back to Bitcoin. Okay. So and we, you mentioned consensus. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to all of these computers agreeing, like this is a valid transaction, this is mm-hmm. a valid update. What happens when you have like these really big institutions that are now coming in and, and scooping up so much Bitcoin? Does that make it more vulnerable to corruption, to mm. censorship, to kind of like a false agreed upon update, whatever it is? Like it's not accurately representing the people anymore? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. It's actually something that people in crypto are kind of coming to grips with right now. It's like, okay, BlackRock mm-hmm. just opened up the taps on their Bitcoin fund and they're trying to get a spot ETF, electronic tr- exchange traded fund for Bitcoin. What does that mean? Uh, BlackRock is, I think, the second biggest uh, asset under management uh, firm on the planet. They have more money than the United States. So a lot of the Bitcoin that's out there right now is paper Bitcoin. It's fake. It's not there. So it's all on an exchange, a centralized exchange saying, yeah, we have this Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. No one's taking their Bitcoin out of those exchanges. Well, they are, but they're not doing it fast enough. Mm-hmm. So what everyone's kind of figuring out right now, and shout out to Willie Wu. He was actually just talking about this on Peter McCormick's um, What Bitcoin Did podcast. Willie Wu said, yeah, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen because there's so much paper Bitcoin wrapped up in leverage trading and that the institutions are trading back and forth, but they're not actually turning that into like Bitcoin on the blockchain. They're just going to Coinbase. They're going to Binance and saying, yeah, I'm buying all this Bitcoin and it's on paper and they're not settling it out, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen then? Well, what's going to happen then is two things. Number one, there's going to be a massive upward price action as people start to take their Bitcoin off of the exchanges because the amount of Bitcoin that's available to trade is going to go down. And then next year in March, we have the Bitcoin halving. So the third beautiful thing about Bitcoin is there's a certain amount of Bitcoin for every block is released back out into the wild. That's how we get more Bitcoin, but there is a cap. But every four years, that emission rate per block is cut in half. It started at 50, and now it's at, I think, three and a quarter. Or now it's at six and a quarter, and then it's going to drop in March. It's going to be cut in half to, I think, 3.14 Bitcoin per block. So the supply of Bitcoin is being cut in half every four years. Institutions have only started buying over the past two. What's going to happen when there's an asset that everyone wants that suddenly becomes scarce. What happens? Price go up. Consensus, thankfully, doesn't have much to do with people buying and selling Bitcoin because the consensus is going to happen no matter what. Uh, there's just going to be more transactions for each block. And so there, or see the block time will mean the same, but your transactions may be slowed down. I don't think that's actually going to be a big deal as far as them corrupting consensus until I saw BlackRock doing what BlackRock does best, which is buying a voting share in publicly traded companies in order to change how they are run. That's how BlackRock is in control of most of the things on this planet. They're starting to do that with publicly traded Bitcoin miners. Off the top of my head, Riot and I think uh, Hut8 are publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies that BlackRock has purchased, I think, at least a 10% stake in. What that means is, is they are now voting on things and they are uh, using their weight, their 10% stake to influence how people vote and how the company does things. So there is a small contingent of idiots that want to change the Bitcoin code. So that is no longer math based, but it's like this thing called proof of stake 
which is kind of a scam depending on how you implement it, but it does use less power, but it's centralized. So it's very easy. Proof of stake is centralized. So it completely ruins the decentralized nature of Bitcoin. They may try and change that, although I don't think they would because that would ruin the fundamental value proposition of Bitcoin. So as far as institutions buying, they can manipulate the price up and down to a point, but I don't think they can manipulate the actual behavior of Bitcoin uh, and making as far as like what makes it special. Is there a way for the government to make it illegal? Uh, Bitcoin cannot be stopped as far as the network goes. You could really access Bitcoin over uh, a ham radio if you if you had to. They can make it difficult for you to hold it. They can track because it's on the public block. It's it's on a it's a public ledger. That's what a blockchain is. So it's public. Everyone can see the transactions, but the wallets are anonymous. But Mm -hmm. if they can basically track your wallet, it's coming to an IP address. They kind of know where you live. And they can also just tell all the internet service providers, hey, just the the Bitcoin network, just don't allow access to it. Well, there's this thing called the deep web. So there's plenty of other ways to get around ISPs, uh, but they can extremely hamper your access to Bitcoin temporarily. So there, there will, people will find ways to work around it, especially if we're in some kind of scenario where, you know, a loaf of bread is $500 and people are just kind of using Bitcoin on the gray market, people will find a way to trade Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And what would you say like the main differences, and I know that there's a lot, but I think uh, it gets confusing, the main differences between something like Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yeah. So uh, other smart people have said this before, so I'm, this isn't my take, but Bitcoin is digital gold. It's a store of value. It's an asset. Whereas Ethereum is uh, digital oil. It's something that's to be used and burnt. So Ethereum is going to be the thing that we use to make more things digital and back up things digitally, like uh, driver's licenses and uh, property deeds and marriage licenses and what have you. Because again, if it's going on a blockchain, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to corrupt that data. So like for instance, in Missouri, there's a small town in Missouri, a tornado went through the town, basically sucked up the entire town and threw it out the top. And there was nothing left, including the records office. The records office was all paper-based. Now, no one knows who owns what property there in, I think it's Joplin, Missouri. But if that was put on the blockchain, even if those computers were just obliterated, you could just access back, you could log back into the Ethereum blockchain and pull up all the records for all those people's um, houses and businesses and what have you. So that's an extremely powerful use case for Ethereum and other chains like Cardano. And so that's like one of the great ways that Bitcoin is and blockchain is really going to revolutionize things is people are going to be using things like Ethereum for like everyday activities, like tickets to like Braves games or whatever. But Bitcoin is going to be the thing that you're going to use to like shield yourself from everybody manipulating the dollar. So when it comes to keeping it, storing it, where you're trading it, I think a lot of the world was paying attention with FTX. I th- mm-hmm. There was a lot of um, implosions at that time. Celsius went down. And the thing with, I guess, the comparing of, or bringing them up in the same sentence, I think they're two very different men. I had Alex Mashinsky on the podcast mm. months before everything happened. My husband's met him in person a few times at some events. And I just, I can't, and maybe this is my own error, but I can't see him as like a bad guy. Like I don't, he just seems like so anti-authority, anti 
big whatever, right? Big mm-hmm. big banks essentially. And what I see with Mashinsky is that he was going toe to toe with banksters, and they kind of took him down in some way, or maybe he just was over leveraged. I don't I don't know. It just it doesn't feel the same way as FTX. Now, mm-hmm. taking both of their characters outside of it. Like, how do you know where you're putting your money is a legitimate place? Or are you just a fan of holding on to it? Like, own your keys, own your wallet kind of a thing? Because that also seems like it's not, it's obviously not risk free either, right? Mm-hmm. You forget your password, it's gone forever. So, like, what mm-hmm. is the answer to that? Um, I'm a big proponent of uh, self sovereignty. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be more on the self sovereignty camp, but I know that's not for everyone. Like, right. the idea of buying, $80,000 worth of ones and zeros. And then you have 12 words that can unlock that $80,000 of ones and zeros that you can't physically touch. And if you lose or forget those 12 words, all that $80,000 is gone forever. That's terrifying to some people. And I understand my heart goes out to people who are terrified of that. At the same token, you can have a bunch of fat cats in Wall Street, i.e. Washington, because it's one and the same, who are just playing around and playing games with your money, with your retirement with your little nest egg or whatever for your kids and they'll go in and leverage that and it will just go away and it's like oopsie poopsie mm-hmm. you know uh, notice who got bailed out it was the banks no one's retirement fund got backfilled right mm-hmm. no one got their house that was foreclosed on returned back from them back in 2008 none of that happened okay mm-hmm. the fat cats looked out for themselves so there is risk no matter what what mm-hmm. is your risk tolerance i think it's too risky to not have some exposure to bitcoin you can have it on a centralized exchange like Celsius or FTX, uh, or you can own it yourself, which has risk. Um, there's ways to get around that. But going back to your point about Mashinsky and FTX uh, and Celsius, I know a lot about what happened with Alex. I know a lot. And I know a lot about what happened with FTX. In both of those instances, not, neither one of those guys are evil. Um, there are people in the space that are evil, but neither one of those guys, I would say, are evil, but both of them were enticed by power and power corrupts. And Mashinsky doesn't like the establishment. He still doesn't, but he liked his establishment. He -hmm. wasn't giving up control of his crypto. He wasn't letting people have oversight of how he was investing. And so then he got over leveraged and and he was just listening to the wrong people and he wasn't listening to criticism. And Sam Bankman-Fried, I think fundamentally is mentally ill and uh, is a savant and is really good at some stuff, but he's not a crypto guy. And so he's, he's a finance bro. Like, let's just be perfectly clear. Uh, and a terrible League of Legends player. <laughs> <laughs> he only got to like bronze status. I don't know what that means. I, I don't have time for games anymore. But, <laughs> you know, he just got a lot of money and got a lot of drugs and started getting a lot of sex. And at that point, like you, the script, you, we've read that script a thousand times. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not some type of superhero. Would the same thing happen to me? Probably if I had all that money, the guy had billions of dollars just on tap and he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, I'm no better than him, but at least I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all susceptible to it. He just thought he could, he just thought he couldn't be touched. Right. And like, that's when you know, you've, you've screwed up is when you think you can't be touched. So mm-hmm. what about you? Like, what's your, what's, what's your risk? Tolerance, like where where are you at on the spectrum of, of of self sovereignty and custodianship? I like both. I like mixing it up. Um, mm. So we have some that is on more of a centralized network, and then we also do have some that's cold storage. And I think mm-hmm. for that, it's 
I think it's important to have some, even if you are like terrified of holding your own keys, I think it's important to at least have some that if like shit goes down, you go into the safe, you grab your whatever storage unit you're using and you hit the road, whatever it is, right? And you see this yep. in some war-torn countries where you definitely don't want to be holding on to gold bars or cash mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. going to get taken from you from somebody. If you have something that's a little bit more discreet, I think that's easier to travel with and you're not going to be like you you're not going to potentially have time to do a transfer. So you want to have something that's cold storage just for like a, in case of emergency pull this lever and then also it's just again like risk tolerance so if i suck at one of them hopefully the other one is easier to access so i think diversifying is usually the answer right don't go all in Mm. on one one bet you seem to have thought this through a lot are you like a sarah connor do you think about these end of times things a lot end of times um for (laughs) sure yeah i mean so i was raised by a cop dad and i've got two small kids i I really enjoy, and I don't know why, maybe like I'm a little bit of a masochist, but I, I love getting into culture and politics and what's going on on a ground level. So it's like, you can't see all of this and then be raised the way that I was and not have like a little bit of caution or like have a little bit of Mm -hmm. need for being prepared, not paranoid, but just prepared. So like, we've got a go bag, I've got food, I've got water, like we've got a plan. Yeah. You got a go bag? Oh I got a go God. bag and that's it is awesome. stocked. Hey, Candace, that's a business opportunity. Go bags by Candace. I, I like they're <laughs> you're printing money. <laughs> Just curated with everything. Yeah. I've got like my Afghani bandages and I've got <laughs> quick clot and I've got my life straws. I've got wow. the life tent flares, you name it. It's it's ready to go. Amazing. We've got our map. I, I- <laughs> I will buy one. You send me the Amazon cart. I will. I will buy it from you. You can get ten percent on top. I need it. Oh my god! It'd probably be embarrassing <laughs> with how much it, how much it costs to like fully do a bag, but it's a lot. You know what I mean? It's but worth it. You just never. You never know. And I would rather mm-hmm. be prepared. And it's there. It doesn't cost me any. I can now sleep better because it's already done. All I have to do is right above the vehicle, grab it, throw it in the back, grab the mm-hmm. kids. You're good to go. Right. Wow. You just don't want to be in a situation. And I also grew up in Southern California in like the 80s and the 90s. And we had been rocked by some like Mm -hmm. really serious earthquakes. Like, I mean, ground opening earthquakes. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a first responder. So I saw firsthand like you need to be prepared. We had an earthquake kit. Right. So from the time I was born, I was used to having something that like you literally grab and you need in the case of emergency. So to me, it's super normal. But if you didn't grow up someplace that has natural disasters, maybe that sounds Mm -hmm. really crazy to you. Yeah, I grew up in North Carolina, so we had a uh, a hurricane kit mm. back in Hurricane Fran in like I think it was '98 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were all on the bottom floor of our house. Uh, I'm the oldest of six. We were all on the bottom floor of our house, and uh, we woke up. It was like two in the morning. We woke up in about six inches of water, and my youngest sister was face down in it. <gasps> and so we like scrambled and got her up. She was fine, but like the house was flooding. So me and my mom went outside and as the eye of Hurricane Fran came over our area of Raleigh, North Carolina, we went outside and with shovels and picks and we dug a trench because we were kind of at the bottom of the hill. We dug a trench to divert the water away from the house so it wouldn't keep on flooding. I'll never forget that. But yeah, I, I know what you mean when it comes to like when you got to get out, you, you don't have much time to react. Mm-hmm. Holy, yeah. So I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. We've Wilmington. been here for a yeah. while. It's amazing. But we yeah. got rocked. When was it? Maybe... 
like three years ago, we had a pretty Michael? rough hurricane. Uh, was no. it Michael? No, it wasn't Michael. What was it? I wanted, yeah, it was like three seasons ago because my my oldest was born, and I remember I think it was a three, and we were like, okay, we'll stay. Like three is the question mark, right? It's like you kind, it's kind of like with blackjack. It's like whether or not you hit on eighteen, it's like your own thing. <laughs> and I feel like hurricanes are very similar. So some people, it's like one and two, you absolutely just cruise through it, and then three, yeah. it's like you have your own solid rule. It's like we either stay or we go. Yeah. At the time that they said it was going to be a three, the eye wasn't supposed to go over us, but something had shifted and then it did. And then as you know, if that happens, you are getting rocked. Like you are in the worst place of it because that's like where it's the strongest. So our dog now has like permanent PTSD when it storms. Like he he is a giant German shepherd and you would never know. Like he is shaking. We have to medicate him anytime there's a storm because he stayed through that. I was, yeah, I was terrified. So now I'm like three, we'll probably leave now. We're going to probably like go up to Raleigh stay at a hotel for a little bit. Um, So I think it changed my stance on threes. But yeah, it goes back to if you're raised with these elements of um, that really, really have you come face to face with your lack of control over most things, all you can do is be prepared for what you can control. So rather than look like an idiot while in a John, but like an inflatable John boat and you're like, (laughs) you know, trying to get to help it's like okay now we have a plan so i think that it's the same when it comes to um your resources it's like it's Mm -hmm. have a plan and it might sound crazy to some people like well my money is safe in my account well that's absolutely not true and you might think that this is only happening to super famous people or super controversial people but Mm -hmm. i've met i've met models that have had their accounts shut down and not for breaking the law or anything like that it uh there's this loophole when it comes to legal businesses that banks have the right to not allow you to bank. So if you are in cannabis, CBD, sex work, anything like that, which is legal, like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's legal to have an OnlyFans account. But if you were to go to Bank of America and say, hey, um, all of my money is coming from OnlyFans and I'm getting naked Mm -hmm. on there, they would probably say you need to figure out somewhere else to bank. Mm -hmm. Um, So this model was not even doing adult stuff. It was like burlesque, whatever. She had this stalker. Um, The stalker was calling the banks and said that she was involved in sex work. She got denied the right to bank. So this is an average everyday person that happened in New York. We see what's happening right now with Russell Brand, and I promised that this would circle back. We see this British parliament letter. So essentially the British government is going out of their way to email the head of TikTok, the head of Rumble, the head of YouTube, these other platforms. And they're saying, hey, he's been accused of XYZ, just accused, right? Not legal, like no legal charges have been made. No police reports have been filed. These women went to a tabloid and are making accusations. So that looks a little bit suspicious as to like what are the motivations behind this. So again, simply an accusation with no proof and no police report. You now have the government with what seems to be a coordinated effort trying to shut down a citizen's livelihood, a citizen's right to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. what is now the public square, which is the internet, um, Mm -hmm. to publish content and to have any kind of livelihood to support themselves or their family. So if that can happen, what do you what do you do? Who do you think that these banks are going to side with? We already see where all these social medias, except for Rumble, Rumble is holding strong, and I, yeah. they Good are rock stars. 
yeah. for what they're doing. And they mm-hmm. reported their response, which is incredible. Like they are truly men and people of integrity. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they are absolutely walking the walk, but that is rare. So how do you protect yourself? And I think that this is where decentralized currency is crucial because you just never know, right? Is it, yeah. we go into a social credit score and now you're being monitored as a regular person for how much you're driving, what you're eating, what you're mm-hmm. tweeting, et cetera. So you should have your go bag, your financial go bag. And what is that? Mm-hmm. It's going to be blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because there's, I could talk about this Russell Brand thing for an hour, but okay. So first of all, there is decentralized media coming up. There's decentralized social media coming up. There's a lot of, that's fraught with problems because a fully decentralized, uncensored social media is hell. Like it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but there needs to be there. There can be ways to distribute media in a decentralized fashion. Uh, there's a couple different crypto projects that will do that, and that's very, very encouraging. Um, again, kudos to Rumble for their response, saying you guys are out of line. If anyone, especially in the United States, is shocked about what is happening to Russell Brand. Uh, the United States legal system has been operating on a guilty until proven innocent for a long time. So uh, you can literally have charges filed against you. Uh, you will be booked. You will have your picture taken. Uh, you'll serve jail time. And this is all before a trial has happened. You'll actually be put in jail and have to pay money to get out of jail. It doesn't matter if the charges are true or false. So this is um, this is not new, Okay. It's just new that it's happening to someone big like Russell Brand. But folks, especially men, I have secondhand experience with this, secondhand experience. Um, men can be accused of a lot of things and they will go to jail for a long, long time and wait their court date. And there was nothing there. The person who was accusing was lying. And But it doesn't matter because they've been in jail. They can't pay their bills. They can't go to work. They've been financially ruined. Their entire, uh, just just the uh, the narrative that's been put out, your, your mugshot has ruined your reputation. So this is all happening to Russell Brand right now. It's a coordinated effort, obviously. I don't think anyone, you know, you and I have a very, very similar uh, political ideology, but this is pretty coordinated because of what Russell's been standing for, for the past, you know, four years, especially. And yeah, we're going to have to embrace the systems that have the least amount of centralized control. And uh, like, this is, this is money and this is power. And this is not being done um, by uh, just some politicians who are on a power trip. There are levers above them that are being pulled. There's a deep state in the United States and there's a deep state in Britain. And so they're all coming down on Russell uh, Brand right now uh, in order to silence him. And we've got to support him. Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching. I want it was um, one of the guys from Trigonometry. I don't know if it was Constantin or Francis. Great show. Great show. Uh, they said they said it, I didn't watch that Russell Brand thing. I want to. It's on my list. But. He was pointing out because everyone goes really quick to say it's the left that's censoring because that's kind of what has Mm -hmm. been happening um, over Mm -hmm. the last few years. Before that, it was the right. But currently, it's been the left. He's like right now, the British Parliament is pretty much conservative, like it's a conservative majority. So you can't vote your way out of censorship, which I thought was really interesting because we do have this idea that like someone's going to be our savior. One politician is going to be our savior. And I think that that's fundamentally flawed because almost everyone can be bought. I think Mm -hmm. that's why right now, and it's a little bit off topic, but that's why I I currently am a really big fan of um, RFK. He just seems like the Mm -hmm. only one 
that's running right now that seems incorruptible. And it's like, yeah, maybe he's like a child of the beast. He's a child of the beast. I do want to push back on that one point that trigonometry brought up about the British parliament being run by conservatives. Yeah. A British concert, like the conservative party in Britain is more left than the Democrats in the United States. Oh, really? It's, it's just it, Oh, yeah. It's just a label. Like, in no way is the conservative British party an actual, like, what you would think is like a GOP Mitch McConnell conservative. That is, the, we're talking about two different things. There's a language barrier there almost. So if anything, like, Nigel Farage is a conservative, but they think he's a fringe because he's kind of like a Ted Cruz here. But most of the conservative leadership there is not conservative. They're very much top-down socialists, very much uh, liberal in their uh, ideology, not very faith-based at all. What you could think of as like a mainline conservative here, right? Bible thumper, doesn't happen there. So we just want to make sure like we get our terms right. But um, yeah, just like, but even still. Once the political party's in power, like right now, the Republicans here in the United States, they're like very pro-Bitcoin. They're very pro-cryptocurrency. Guys, we love this. We love this. Well, guess what? As soon as they get in power, what are they going to start hating on? Bitcoin mm. and cryptocurrency, right? Because they need that as a narrative against the left. When the left is using this, as they're being told by the banks because they're in power, hey, you got you to cut this Bitcoin shit out. Um, the left and the right, the Republicans and the Democrats, in the United States, they are two wings on the same bird. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get change if you're just looking at like a blue and a red thing. I love this thing that I saw the other day. It's not red versus blue. It's the state versus you. Mm-hmm. The bigger that the government is, the more they're going to impose themselves on it, whether they dress it up with trans flags and diversity or with the Christian flag and Bibles. If it's the state and if it's a government and they have a ton of control, they're going to force that control down on you. The only safe government is one that is in fear of its people. So that's where I'm at as far as politically and what we're looking at in the landscape. Like it's not good. Don't look to the right to be your savior. Don't look at a person to be your savior. If you're looking for one person, especially a politician, the only reason they're running for office is because they want power. Sorry. I will say your point about RFK, RFK is like, he's kind of like the Daryl Dixon of politics. Uh, if you watch Walking Dead, um, Daryl Dixon is the guy with the crossbow. Um, he's just there to survive. His whole family has been wiped out. And RFK literally has had his family wiped out <laughs> by the government. And he's there to, I think, right the wrongs. I don't, I don't trust any politician, but I've actually, I was there in Bitcoin Miami this year and I heard him speak at a, a small party there. He understands the stakes. I think he's the only candidate that understands the stakes. You can have a candidate say, I'm going to drain the swamp, and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. RFK knows that we're not talking about a swamp. We're talking about an Everglade. And he, he's the only one that understands the stakes of what he's actually getting into. No, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with that. He seems um, he seems like he has like a real sense of contribution and a mission and to right a lot of wrongs and to really to really get into these alphabet agencies and really fundamentally change them. And I know that uh, Vivek is also saying the same thing. And I, I do think he does a really good job on his, like his tour. Is that what you call it? Like a Mm -hmm. tour. Uh, And he's super smart, obviously, but Mm -hmm. I still feel like I'm listening to a politician. He is the Ted talk of the conservative politicians. 
So he's just a walking TED talk. I like what he says. He says cool stuff. Does he understand the depths of the challenge that he's facing? A hundred percent. No, <laughs> he does not. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, I mean, he's definitely I think he's probably my favorite candidate going for the right. But um, mm-hmm. I, I still am leaning towards RFK. And it's so funny because um, one of the moms in, in my son's group, it's like the gossip starts so early. <laughs> like it starts so early. And it's like not about what you would think the gossip is about. It's about politics. And she was going around calling me a Trumper. And I was like, what does first of all, What does that mean? Second of all, I'm looking at RFK right now. If I was a Trumper, Mm -hmm. I would be like, you know, Trump is the only person that can save us, right? Yeah. President Donald Trump forever. I'm like, that's not even accurate. And then why would you, like, Mm -hmm. what is the basis of you calling me this? And why are you saying it like a pejorative? It's just like you take something and you try to reduce it down as to like this simple thing that you can put into a bucket because your brain is so lazy. And it was really frustrating for me like you don't even know me and you're saying that you have no idea what I stand like what I stand for what I'm looking for in a candidate what's important to me and my family in the future Mm -hmm. yeah it's really frustrating just that that example of tribalism like it just it's just unhinged from reality you're just kind of saying it as a cudgel to shut people up to shut down discourse and like as far as I can tell being a trumper you could qualify if you're just like hey guys maybe we shouldn't get like five boosters, maybe we should only get like one. And then if you like question that, you're a Trumper. You're you're just like a MAGA, <laughs> like go to the Proud Boy rally, you know, might as well, because if you're not towing the line, then you're a Trumper. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's indicative. That kind of orthodoxy is di- indicative of a cult. So I would say like, it's my position that the the fringe left the one that's kind of in control of most of the media and most of the uh, the corporations it it's a cult because they don't have any critical thinking capability whereas you get more towards like the middle left and like even like the middle conservatives it's like yeah we're going to question ourselves and if there's new data then i change my position because that's what smart people do but if it's like if there's new data for someone who's like a hardcore progress i'm not even calling a liberal they're progressive, like they're mm-hmm. liberals, like believe in free speech, whereas progressives, wasn't it just the uh, Jacinda, what's her face? The former uh, prime minister of New Zealand said we have to have censorship in order to protect free speech. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. That's <laughs> sorry, bananas. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're censorship free here. <laughs> I had Peter McCullough on last week. So, oh, you know, okay. Yeah, we, I'll go wherever. You know what I mean? I will talk to whoever and anything is allowed to be said on this podcast. It's like when you think about how, what, it's, what was the agency um, I'm blanking right now is the uh, ADL or the mm-hmm. yep. yeah. Anti-Defamation League. Uh, no, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Basically like they're, they are an organization that is supposed to pride themselves in free speech. And, um, is Mm -hmm. that, that's the right one. Yeah. They were, they would defend people that were denying the Holocaust and they would defend people that were, um, like basically Nazis. And there was, it wasn't that they agreed with what they were saying, obviously, but it was like, it is ACLU. ACLU. Yeah. Yeah. It is so important for people to be able 
to have free speech because the moment that you start bringing that in, uh, mm-hmm. it's just going to be flipped on you when the regime changes. Now they obviously mm-hmm. are not the same as they used to be, but that used to be the foundation of what they be- believed. And some people still believe yeah. that. But it's like if you think that just because people are silencing what you don't want to hear right now and that's okay, eventually someone's not going to like what you have to say and it's definitely going to be flipped on you. So you just have to have the rules that you would want, not just for you, but like if your enemy was in charge or if your opponent was in charge that you would want the same rules. Exactly. And, you know, it's like, goes back to that question of who watches the watchman, like who is deciding what is right and what is wrong. If the arbiter is a couple people in a room well, they're going to be influenced pretty easily. But if it's a law where it's open-ended and people can feel threatened, but not be in danger, then that's, it's more free. Like if you, people who will willingly give up freedom for safety deserve neither. I love that I don't know who said that. I don't know. I think it was was, uh, Ben Franklin, I think. You can attribute any good quote to Ben Franklin and it'll (laughs) sound right. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's like him, Mark Twain, and Einstein get misquoted the most, but it sounds right. So why not? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like nothing could be more true than like, gosh, is that not the motto ever since 2020 of like our society? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's it really crazy. is. Um, but you seem pretty b- bold and brave with your, I don't know, your Twitter. Like you you enter into the um, gender ideology, the church of gender, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you will. I do. And that's yeah. a scary place to be because the, the feedback you get there is pretty wild. And um, do you have do you have kids or do you not have kids? I do. I have two kids. They're both under the age of two. OK, so that's why you're in there. I was like, there's usually, well, it's, you're usually a parent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and like, so I, I have a background in Hollywood. Like I spent 10 years, I'm still there, but I'm in the Writers Guild of America. And, uh, I was quiet on my political beliefs just to play ball because as you, you probably know, like Hollywood breeds a lot of, uh, uh, insecurity. And if you speak out, you're like sacrificing your ability to get your next gig or whatever. But eventually, like it got to a point to where I was tracking this stuff with this gender uh, indoctrination. And it it got to a point to where I'm sitting back and I saw the logo that the uh, abolitionists uh, had on like a coin. And it had a picture of an African-American man in chains and he was like pleading. And around the coin, it said, uh, am I not a friend and a brother? And I thought to myself, like these people, abolitionists like stood up, they believed in something bigger than themselves and they went down in history fighting for what's right. And I saw what was happening to kids and then I saw kids show up in my life and I saw how innocent and malleable and just beautiful that they are. And I made a decision. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm making a stand on this. Like people are going to know me for a couple things. They're going to know me for having curly hair, for... <laughs> being a crypto guy and for this gender stuff. And like, I put my money where my mouth is and I talked to people on both sides. I was down in, um, I was in downtown Atlanta in pride square, holding a sign that said no child is born in the wrong body all during pride, every Saturday during pride month. And I had a lot of great conversations with that. Some of, I got a lot of hate, but I got a shockingly amount of really good positive feedback. And the, the biggest takeaway I got number one, was just the cowardice of people and how they just will not speak against this. They said, I love what you're doing. I said, well, come here and stand with me for five minutes. Talk to these people. They said, no, I can't do that. Like it literally takes five minutes out of your day and you're not going to stand up for a 14 year old girl being maimed for the rest of her life. You can't take five minutes out of your day to stand against that. 
Mm-hmm. And then secondly, this girl who was about 11 years old, she was there. Uh, I was out in front of a brunch spot and she was there with her parents and she was looking at my sign and she came up and she talked to me and she said, do you hate trans people? And I said, I'm standing on this corner because I'm trying to let kids just grow up. And she said, well, what's wrong with trans people? I said, there's nothing wrong with trans people, but just like you probably should not get a tattoo until you understand, able to understand the gravity of that decision. You should not maim yourself. You shouldn't hurt yourself. If I saw you right now cutting your wrists, I would say you're hurting yourself. The same thing is happening to kids all around you. And I had to like, I had to like square up with my beliefs and talk to this 12 year old who was genuinely concerned about if I was like some type of like bigot on the street, I was just concerned. And I, like, if you don't make a stand, like, what do you stand for? If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. So I, 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 kind, of, I kind of feel like I'm rambling right now just because this is like really close to my heart, not just because of like, I'm trying to protect my son. And I'm sure you're familiar with what's happening with the, in California with AB, nine, six, seven, how they took away their parental rights. Mm-hmm. If you do not affirm uh, the gender identity of your child, your child can be taken away. But it's also like, if you go into the G, the D trans subreddit community, the pain and the anguish is just so palpable. And it's like, there's no bottom. There's these 20 year olds, there's these 18 year olds, there's these 30 year olds who are saying, I made changes to my body when I was young, or I just made changes to my body and I hate myself and I want to die. And all of this is fixable. (laughs) Like all of this was avoidable Mm -hmm. because there's manipulation happening to these kids. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like bullies. So yeah, it's, it's, there's been a cost to my professional career. I've lost friends over it, but, um, you when it comes to these conversations, like I really like what billboard Chris is doing and I'm, I'm a part of gays against groomers. Um, when it comes to these conversations, you have to really call out the evil but then you have to be gracious to the people who are struggling with gender dysmorphia because it is a big time struggle that they're dealing with uh, and they need grace and they need support. But the, the, the people, the administrators and the, the politicians who are using this for political gain, they, they deserve uh, withering criticism, in my opinion. Yeah. And then people also fail to recognize that it's now this emerging industry. Right. Like the whole tra- <laughs> yeah. transitioning of a child is worth yeah. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So follow the money always, mm-hmm. especially if you're trying to do like the integrity test. But it's it's interesting because it's like only one group of people is allowed to voice their opinion and their story and their, quote, truth. Mm-hmm. But then when you listen to the detransitioners, they get shut down. Like no one gives them space to talk. They try to attack their credit, um, their credibility. And then ironically, they'll attack their mental health. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they're crazy then. And it's like, well, you both had a mental disorder. One of you just approached it differently or came to or was like, it, it's just different. Right. And it's. It's interesting that they get dismissed so easily when they're suffering so immensely. And it is, as Abigail Schreier would say, irreversible mm-hmm. damage. Yep. Yep. So I, I would say, yep. yeah, listen to those people, right? Yep. It's like a cautionary tale. Like know the full scope of the situation. You can't just look at one side of the argument and say, okay, that's the the capital T truth. And then there's this whole other part of the equation that you're consciously choosing to like 
put under the rug. And it's like, well, why are you doing that? There's got to be some kind of motivating factor there. And again, when it comes to like the age of consent and what California is doing, it's like first they move the age of consent to for medical consent to 12. And then they pass that law, that 10 year gap law. So you could have a 12 year old with a 22 year old. That's fucking insane. And it was it was like Senator Scott Weiner. I want to say is like the mm. person that like wrote and helped pass the bill. And if you just look at his social media up, that's a little bit concerning. Yep. But yeah, like in that new, did that bill pass the one that said basically, if you don't affirm your child's gender identity that you can lose them, or is that just being brought to the floor? Oh no, it passed both the house and the assembly. Uh, it is waiting for Gavin Newsom's signature and he's pretty much going to sign it unless there's some type of act of God. Mm. So then what do you do as a parent? <clears throat> you know what I mean? Unless you are completely bought and sold on the idea that your child knows best, which any parent that thinks that is insane. Like there's, It's not to say that children aren't immensely intelligent and um, compassionate, that they don't mm-hmm. have knowledge that us as adults have either forgotten or don't know, right? Like I learned from my yep. child on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. That's different than me saying everything that he feels I need to validate. Like if he, it was up Mm -hmm. to him, he would live off of birthday cake pops from Starbucks. Like that is the Mm -hmm. only thing that he would eat. So I can't be like, well, that's how you feel. Or the other day he was saying, I don't know, like he's, what did he want to pretend? I don't know. You know, kids pretend to be dinosaurs or they pretend to be dogs and they want to like, you're not, we can pretend to be this thing, but we're not this other thing. So yeah, unless you're like fully bought and sold on the idea that your kid knows best no matter what, do you leave California as a parent? Because all of those things that we had just mentioned, like medical consent Mm -hmm. being 12, what if you have someone that's on the spectrum? Let's say you have a 12-year-old on the spectrum and a vast majority of children that have autism, they're nonverbal. They might be super Mm -hmm. violent. They might need a ton of medication. They might need to go to see a specialist. If all of a sudden they decide they don't want to do any of that because they are struggling now. And I saw a mom and this was her actual story. She's trying to force medication on them. They can take the kid. So then she had to take her son and give the son to the father that lived in, you know, the Midwest because they had different laws there, went back on the medication and the son was fine. So like, what do you do? Do you leave? Because that's a huge gamble. It's like, I, my kids aren't mine to take care of. They're the states. That's essentially what California is saying. Uh, Yeah. And that is a straight up uh, pull direct quote from Marxists uh, from Marx. So like it is full-blown Marxism when it comes to gender stuff uh, and a bunch of other things in California. But look, if people make decisions on where they buy their house uh, based on the school district, because you value your education for your children, if you value your ability to parent, you must move out of California. I, there's no way, because here's the thing, they're not going to stop. Okay. The mm-hmm. left, I would say, I won't even say the left, the progressives over the past 20 years have gotten all their policies enacted, especially when it comes to gender, by continuously gaslighting the public into, here's how it goes. They make one little step and then people on the right say, hey, hey, this is a big deal. This could be a huge problem. We got to stop. And the left says, no, no, it's not a big deal. You're overreacting. You're blowing this out of proportion. And then a couple of months go by and they take another inch. Same reaction. No, 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 no another inch. They have done that over the past 20 years to now where we're in the situation to where Anthony Weiner is literally going to take your kids, you know, your son, and cut off his dick and pump him and be basically make him a slave to pharmaceutical companies for the rest of his life. By the way, P.S., 
I believe it's 85 to 97% of boys who start testosterone and I think Tanner stage two or later cannot have an orgasm later in life. It is impossible for them to have an orgasm. Is testosterone or estrogen? Uh, estrogen. Yeah. Estrogen. estrogen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's both because you have to like cancel each other out, but it's mostly estrogen. If you go on hormone therapy, right? Mm-hmm. The reversible puberty blockers, the reversible hormones, none of that shit's fucking reversible. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's all just PR. If you do that to a boy, they cannot have an orgasm later in life. It's the same thing for women. I don't think the percentage is as high, but it's still well over 50%. So if you can't have that like spiritual connection with your partner, like what have you just signed that kid up for for the rest of their lives, let alone all of the reproductive problems, the fucking osteoporosis as they get early onset osteoporosis in their 20s when you start puberty blockers because none of them are reversible. So if you're a parent and you're in California and you've, you value your children or you're thinking about becoming a parent, you have to move to a state that has parental reality. <laughs> it, it's like, that's just it. Like you, you can't, these blue cities are, it's going to be a wasteland. I, like there, there's no other way to put it. So um, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, yeah, if you're in California and you're a parent or you want to be a parent, you got to get out. Yeah. It's, we have, um, my, I still have some family out there and we have some really close friends that live, um, in Southern California. And one of them was trying to get us to move there. Um, two of them are basically butted up against each other. And then there's like a lot right next door and they're like, we could be our own little, it's like, absolutely mm-hmm. not. You are out of your mind. This is literally the last state I would have ever moved to. <laughs> it's beautiful. The weather is beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. Geography is like the geographic nature of Mm -hmm. California is beautiful, but like the policies and the people and the mindset and just like that collective energy is destructive and there's no other way to put it. And it sucks. It sucks. But I feel like it's, it's too far gone. Like you can't have, where do you even go? And then, I mean, all of the policies, but even with like the homelessness issue, it's, you can't go any, where I used to live in California, you can't even go. The sidewalks are taken up. You're like, this doesn't feel safe. This is not, this is not a place for anyone that is like a law abiding tax paying citizen. Like you come last in this place. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. It's kind of weird how California has devolved into this like hunger games, district one, district 13 (laughs) type of situation. It's just, it's. I would say it's bizarre, but there's another famous quote by probably Mark Twain. Let's just go ahead and say it's Mark Twain. Uh, People get the government (laughs) that they vote for. Um, So people voted for this, you know, like, so Candace, I want to ask you, like, are you going to send your kids to public school or are you going to homeschool or do private school? So right now my son's in like a private Montessori and it's good for now, but they're Mm -hmm. like, we have meetings with the head of school all of the time because there's so much that I don't agree with. And I'm just like, the days that you they have a diversity equity inclusion teacher and program so I'm like the Mm -hmm. day that she comes in he's just not going to school she comes in like once a month and I pull him I talk to his teachers I'm like if this is going to be a class discussion he's not to be involved in it and I'll come pick him up right like I don't Mm -hmm. want anything on like certain topics around him and the way I described it to her because I don't know where anyone leans right and I go into Mm -hmm. this as myself like I'm not gonna uh, tone myself down or make any gray any room for misinterpretation. So I go in as you know, as Mama Bear, and I'm like, this is my stance. This is my family's values and principles, and they're not to be treaded on. And I brought up um, specifically like the gender stuff because there's some books that they have for the older kids, and I'm like, so who knows if they're trying to sneak them into the younger kids? 
It's just not going to be discussed. And anyone who prematurely takes away innocence from a child is nothing short of evil in my mind. Mm -hmm. So that's whether you are introducing concepts of violence too soon, concepts of racism too soon, concepts of sex and gender too soon. They exist in such a pure space. And it's so unsullied like it is like the most the closest to god i think that we can ever really experience as a young child it is just incredible and if you as an adult go in and rip that away because you are hurting and you have some kind of fucking hole in you there's Mm -hmm. it's nothing shy of evil so if you do that to my kid there's going to be a fucking hurricane that you're going to deal with Mm -hmm. so i let that be known so for now he's good i i trust the people that he's with the adults that he's with but i know that's not going to be the case moving forward so we are definitely are going to we're trying to start either a pod or like a franchise and if that doesn't work it'll just be traditional homeschooling with okay. you know maybe like a socratic method but there's a couple of franchise schools that we're trying to bring to wilmington it's just hard mm-hmm. because It's super rare to find someone who, A, is like super into their kid's education, that they have their hand on the pulse. A lot of people just send their kids to basically a glorified daycare and just assume Mm -hmm. that the adults know best that are there. And then it's another type of parent that is willing to take a, quote, risk and invest in an alt school because Mm. i mean it takes like an entrepreneur essentially someone who's not crazy risk averse and they actually see it as less of a risk doing it yourself versus handing that off to someone that you don't know so i would say Mm -hmm. putting your kids in public school is way riskier than you trying to do something alt whether it's um, waldorf or montessori or socratic Mm -hmm. like those are way safer in my mind even just homeschooling is way safer in my mind than throwing them in the public school i mean we know it's not serving us it's failing kids left and right we can't get Mm -hmm. get them to have jobs they don't know what their purpose is they don't even know what their interest or curiosity is because that has been like hammered out of them since you put them Mm -hmm. there how dare you be curious how dare you ask questions this is the only way to answer and solve a problem so it's like what kind of mindset and like vitality do you want your kid to have going into adulthood so again like it's assessing risks and for some reason We've lost our sovereignty. We've lost faith and conviction in ourselves, and we're handing that off by proxy to someone else with no proof. So it's like finding your own power again, I think, is the answer to a lot of these problems. Yeah, it's gosh, I could I could literally talk about this for like four <laughs> hours straight with you. This is a fantastic conversation. I love this so much. Yeah, I mean, I was I'm the oldest of six and I was actually homeschooled. So shout out to my mom and my dad who uh, coped co-homeschooled me. It's the public school system was, the current system was uh, invented by a Marxist and it was uh, put together to make workers. It was Mm -hmm. not put together to make innovators and to make artists. It was there to make people who work nine to five and didn't ask questions and do what they were told. I mean, your whole existence is when you're in school is based on bells. Bell for this, oh, get up and move. Bell for this, get up and move. Take test, obey, blah, 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 blah. Also, like if you are good at taking tests, that does not mean you understand the material. It just means you're good at taking tests. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to move my kids uh, right now. They go to like a daycare slash school thing. We're probably going to end up homeschooling and doing like a co-op because mm-hmm. that's a lot more refined these days. There are a couple, uh, if you don't know him already, uh, Hotep Jesus, he's really big on um, uh, homeschool franchises. So if you want to have him on, he could talk about that at length. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm part of his like boys club called Men of Order. Uh, we talk about homeschooling kids and guns and, you know, all that kind of stuff all the time. But yeah, he's very big into like raise your daughters, raise your sons outside of the school system. Here's the resources uh, X, Y, Z. So yeah, really big into that. I can, I can make that connect if you want to. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, the school system is, is trash and uh, I'm, it's really encouraging to hear that you are not participating in that. No, no way. I'm not I'm not meant to conform. All my decisions up to now are prime examples of that. So I can't break that habit and just have my children fall in line. That's not gonna the work. The die has been cast for Candace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just um I don't know. I I had a horrible school experience like I we moved around a lot I was always the new girl I got picked on relentlessly I actually got bullied so bad physically bullied so bad that my mom had to pull me out for a year and she quote homeschooled me but really all she did Mm -hmm. was let me walk around Barnes and Noble and just like pick out books that I liked to read and amazing that was basically my homeschool for a whole year but I guess just based off and my husband had a pretty equally horrible experience he has ADD and it was really really bad when he was younger severe test uh like taking i wouldn't say anxiety but just like he couldn't perform taking tests they literally put him in the basement at this at the school and that's where he learned so it just gives you all these labels and kind of puts a ceiling on what you think your potential is so you see that this life force is getting sucked out of what is like such a beautiful young person and that's the last thing i want to ever happen to my children so if i can try to facilitate an environment that's encouraging and lets them explore and doesn't like perpetuate all these things with society that i think are so fundamentally flawed then i like that's my duty as a parent Mm -hmm. yeah totally agree Mm -hmm. totally oh man so we we've covered a lot of things. <laughs> we started with Bitcoin and blockchain, but I mean, hopefully, hopefully the, the listeners can connect the dots and kind of see the overarching theme of this conversation is sovereignty, taking your power back, um, being prepared, not paranoid. And this goes into all areas of your life. So it's what what sections of your life are you asleep and kind of just walking through and what needs Mm -hmm. to maybe be revisited and and maybe needs a little bit more love, attention and care to be able to, um, I know just so you're, you have your hand on the pulse of all areas, right? Like you just know what's going on. So you have to be aware. You just can't be asleep. You can't just be (laughs) a a media junkie floating through life. Like is, is your rudder down in the water or not? Like make that choice. Mm Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Well, Nick, <laughs> this was incredible. Thank you for sticking out the technical yeah. difficulties. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm so glad that we did because this was a really great conversation. Yeah. Before yeah. we take off, do you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you, how they can support mm-hmm. you, projects you're working on? And I'll make sure that we have the editor's link, everything below. Yeah. Uh, before I do that, I want to do a quick plug for Candice. If you're watching this video, hit the like button, subscribe to her channel, follow her on Twitter. <laughs> Like, guys, it's not that hard. She's out here every day providing amazing content. Okay, so that's my show for Candace. Okay. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Cause, you. Because she's awesome. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Nick DeMondi. My name will be in the description, probably in the title. Um, I work for Hidden Network. We're a cryptocurrency YouTube streaming platform. We've got a bunch of channels, Discover Crypto, around the blockchain, blockchain basement. Um, so you can give us a follow there. But like, I, I don't have any like personal projects that um, I'm really big into right now. Like, I would say if you want to get involved in something that I care about, get involved with Gays Against Groomers. 
And then also get involved with this uh, fund that I work with called Operation Resolute, which helps special forces military members get mental health support and also gives mental health support to their families. So I don't, I don't get any money from them. I don't get any kickbacks. It's just a, a charity that I like. Operation Resolute, go ahead and check them out. And I uh, appreciate it again, Candace, for having me on. Oh my gosh. Anytime, anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you plug a charity. That's amazing. And we'll have to do this again. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. And that's it for this week's episode of Chatting with Candace. Before you go, if you could just leave that five-star review. If it, you haven't done it yet or it's been a while, you can do it more than once. That also helps feed the machine. Um, support our guest by giving him a follow. I'll make sure that I link his resources below as well. And if you enjoyed this episode and know someone else that might, please share it. Word of mouth is the best way to grow a show. And yeah, I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye.